welcome to another episode of Woman Advantage. I am stoked to have our, our first amateur hockey reporter on. We have Justina Shaw. She covers the NCAA currently. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm excited. I just mentioned off mic that I'm a big Jack Eichel fan, so I'm a big BU fan by like extension, and you have covered them in the past, so um, I might have to like pick your brain about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, so I'll kind of get started with what I like to call a softball question, but it's sometimes uh, not a softball because some people have very long, windy answers for it. Um, but how did you get started in hockey? Yeah, so um, I was raised like a diehard sports fan because when my parents moved here from India, they lived in Cleveland. So we were raised like legit football fans. Um, It's still the most important thing in my household. Um, Like really don't don't mess with football Sundays. Um, (laughs) So because my parents lived in Cleveland, I didn't grow up a hockey fan, even though I actually lived in when I was when we were still in Massachusetts, we lived in Andover, which is where some of the players used to live. So like my dad's barber actually used to cut like hair for the Bruins players. But somehow (laughs) we were still never hockey fan. Like he has this he gave it to me like he one day he randomly goes like, Oh, I think I have a Bruins poster that my barber gave me back when we were in Andover. And like, it's a retro poster of like Cam Neely and Ray Bork. Wow. <laughs> um, somehow we still weren't hockey fans. Um, and then many, many years later, when I was a sophomore in high school, I just felt bad for not following the Bruins because I'm a big Boston fan. That's where I was born. Um, Because I was living in New Jersey at the time, I started watching the Devils. And the Devils are the only local team that aren't rivals with any Boston team. So I was like, yeah, okay, I can root for them. Um, It took like five seconds of me watching and then I was just hooked for life. Yeah. Um, So around when was that? Like, was it peak, like shutdown years for the Devils? It was after that. So I actually missed all of their um, Stanley Cups. I became a fan. I I think it oh five oh no oh six oh seven. Awesome. Yeah. I I'm also like I didn't have a professional team until 2011, and so I missed all of the good years of the Sabers. I've just known sadness. So yeah, I, I yeah, can relate to that. <laughs> um, so you mentioned you're a big football fan. You've covered other sports besides hockey. Um, what things do you think that hockey culture could learn from other sports? That's that's a tough. That's a very tough and broad question. Um, it depends on what sports you're comparing it to, um, because all of them are just very incredibly different. Like I know a lot of people like to compare the NBA to the NHL. Um, The NBA, they don't try and squash personalities where, you know, you mentioned that I cover amateur hockey part. I actually did cover the Devils for a little bit and I absolutely hated it. Um, I still cover college hockey because like, as I like to say, the players haven't had the personality squashed out of them yet. So (laughs) they're much more fun to talk to um, and more engaging and uh, conversations are just like, they're, they're more unique. Um, when you get to the NHL, I just, there's like, they really, really try and like make you a part of exactly like everyone else. Um, they take the idea of team and like push it to the extreme. And I think they're, I think hockey is really the only sport that does it to that level. It's just, it, it's basically like the worst cult in the cult of sports. <laughs> yeah, it's, 
it's really something to see some of those players, like you'll watch old videos of the, you know, U.S. National Development Team kids. So like full of personality and like being really goofy and then they get into the league and it's like a totally different person. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you covered the Devils and now you write, uh, you cover NCAA hockey. You know, what is besides, you know, the kids actually having more personality? What's some of the bigger differences between covering professional and covering amateur? Um, Part of the thing about covering amateur is like you get players on like two fronts. Like you have obviously like them in the context of college. But then actually I want to say my favorite thing is that because, well, obviously like the kids graduate or they leave and they start to play pro hockey, my favorite thing is being able to root for them when they're pro players. Um, Like there are two, like there are some kids that I covered at Princeton whose families that I I was really close with and now they're playing in the NHL, which is really cool. Um, Especially because like we had those relationships and then there are a couple players who went to BU who I'm close with and like now I get to like I get to root for them. So that's like really fun. And it's just really cool seeing how how players grow from like being a freshman to like being a senior because a lot of now like I've been covering the Big Ten for what five five six years now yeah six years so like I've seen multiple senior classes Pat like I've seen kids go from being freshmen to being seniors and it's just crazy to see how much they grow yeah, that's like you're watching them go from like being boys to men over like in front of your eyes. That's really cool. I've literally seen like a f- couple of BU players literally go from being kids to like adults and I text them and I'm like, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> you're like the little ant cheering on the sidelines. I, I know it's it's like really pathetic, but they're like totally okay with it because they're good kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like in the NCAA, you get a lot of like genuinely good kids who are like playing on scholarship to get their way through school, which is nice to see too. Uh, it depends. But what I what I think is like um, these kids, like especially the ones that come in young. So like for the example of these two kids, I've known them both since they were 18. And when they're that young, they're just a lot more open to other things, I guess. And they're still impressionable and like if they learn from the right people, I think they turn out to be good kids. And I think that's what happened in these situations. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear that, you know, sometimes the people who are impressing upon them are good people and they can kind of be shaped in a, you know, more progressive, um, not terrible way. Yeah. (laughs) So what is the favorite team you've ever covered and why? Uh, It's still BU. Um, I actually, I covered the world. I guess it's a toss-up between the men's and women's teams at BU because I love them both so much. Um, I actually decided not to cover women's hockey again just because I was like – I'd gone really close to the coaching staff and everything, and I was like, I care too much about rooting for you guys to win, so I don't want to cover you because that's weird. Um, And when I started covering the men's team – just everyone around the program bought into it so much and was so dedicated to it and they loved it so much that like just after like even half a year of covering that team like that's all it took um and I like there's so many people that there are like people I used to share that press box with that I used to like share a media room with who like I still talk to and like I still go back to BU every 
year. And like, obviously I went there, you know, I had classes with some of these kids. I graduated with some of them. Some of them I've known since they were prospects. Like I'm really close to that program. So the men's and women's programs, like I still, um, whenever I'm at BU, I always try and see the women's coach. Um, when I see coach Parker, I stop and I talk to him. So, um, those would be definitely my two favorite teams. That's really cool. That at that level, you can kind of create those relationships and really like get invested in the team. And I feel like your writing is probably shaped by the fact that you can be like kind of personally connected to the players. Yeah, I think it's just, I think when you're really, really passionate about something and like a, I don't, I don't know like how to express it, but like people can easily see that through your coverage and your writing. Like with Princeton, um, unfortunately, like (laughs) that was a whole, there was a lot of bad stuff when I covered the team, unfortunately, but at the same time, like there were a lot of really good relationships that I was able to cultivate because it was such a small community. And like, people were like, oh, you do such a great job. And like, it really, it really does show through your work when you like really love something. Yeah, that's awesome. So I saw you at a panel at Hack last year. This year, it's still 2019. Hashtag Time's I test. Yeah. Um, so because there really aren't advanced stats in the NCAA, and a lot of times you might not even get simple metrics like, you know, shots on goal by for each person or ice time, you know, what are the things that you pay attention to most and kind of what should people look for if they're looking at prospects? This is going to sound odd, but I don't really pay attention to anything. Um, I just watch and it's like the more you're around it and the more you watch like I didn't no one taught me hockey like I just learned it from watching Um, and just I've been covering hockey for almost 10 years now so you just start to pick up and you start to know like if you see a player you can generally just I, I don't know. It's just like unconsciously it clicks in your head. Like I know on that panel we were talking about goalies and I was like, well, so-and-so might be a really good college goalie. They might be a really good college player. But just because of things like maybe their size, maybe their speed, we know that they're not going to be high quality and they're not going to be NHL caliber players. And it's just something that like honestly you just get to know by like watching and by paying attention to what – what which players are succeeding over time and like which free agents teams are getting attracted to and like how they end up faring when they're in pro hockey. So it's not really like something I look for specifically, but usually you can just tell. Like if you see a player, you kind of can know. Uh, but I will say the biggest thing is definitely their speed because um, if they're not fast enough to play in the NHL, they're not playing in the NHL period. Um, everything else I think you can kind of maybe get away with, but the speed thing is definitely key because that's also what like when players move up from one level to the next, it's always like the hardest adjustment for them too. Yeah. That's I think really good advice, particularly for watching, you know, whether it's juniors or college or, you know, even lower level professional leagues where you don't have that advanced data is just like pay attention to the game as a whole. Don't try to focus on like individual aspects. Mm-hmm. So um, this is going to get a little bit more serious now, but beyond your work in hockey, you've been really vocal around, you know, racism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia, um, all of that kind of like bias and really terrible stuff that exists in hockey and in sports culture. 
Have you seen any kind of shift forward or do you think that, you know, it's kind of stuck in a rut and we haven't moved that conversation or just like the way people are treated forward in the like culture of hockey? Um, I don't think it's really changed. I mean, people have differing opinions on it, but uh, to me, it's just like a varying degree of whether people are going to be openly racist or not openly racist. Um, And I mean, obviously, like there's some things happening, but I don't know if those things are having the intended effect because I feel like they're very superficial changes and it's it's a lot it's an, it's not a difficult thing to try to fix honestly um but just with everything they're doing it's just like no it's just no no my answer is no <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i'm it's i know from my observations just like at all levels it seems like a lot of those kind of internalized biases and you know prejudices start at such a young age because hockey does tend to be predominantly white do you think that you know diversifying the like kids getting into hockey and like giving kids who might not have had the opportunity to get into hockey the chance to get involved would that help at all or do you think it's just like you're putting some kids of color under the power of a white coach who can then just like treat them poorly yeah, I'm split on this because I really do think that when kids are young, they definitely need exposure to that kind of diversity. However, I don't think it's the job of like kids of color to deal with whatever that would be. And then you mentioned the coaches like the real reason this never changes is because of the people who are instructing these kids. I mean, you look at all the way from USA Hockey to the bottom, like these are people who are teaching these kids to be bigots. And hockey, because hockey culture is so insular and it's like, like I mentioned, a cult, um, it's almost impossible to break out. And even if you are unlike your teammates, like you can't actually act like you're not like your teammates because you will be kicked out. And then the thing about hockey that is very different from every other sport and highly contributes to the problem is that kids start leaving their home when they're 12, 13 years old. They're living with billet families, but they're spending majority of their time with their teammates. So that's literally the only influence that they have. So it's like a circle. It's just all compacted and with no change in the leadership, like those kids aren't going to change and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And then junior hockey is especially the big problem because a lot of kids are no longer going to school. Like they're taking that gap year before they go to college. And now it's like no schoolwork, just hockey, just teammates. And it really, really becomes like junior hockey is where things get really, really bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I, I remember, you know, one example is that that kid that was playing who's like 13 years old who loved P.K. Subban last year around the All-Star game. And he was being called racial slurs on the ice by like other kids on the ice. And it's just like they're 13 years old and like racism isn't born into people. It's taught. And so clearly those kids were learning from somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I know that USA Hockey recently just sent out whatever they did about, hey, teacher kids not to be racist and it's like well maybe don't hire racist coaches I don't know what to tell you yeah and I think asking parents to teach their kids not to be racist is like very important but if the parents are already racist like they aren't going to do that and so the problem is going to perpetuate 
Yeah, and even if the parents try to teach them that, like, if the coach is racist, I don't think that's going to work because it's, like, it, it's a whole effort. Like, I know the saying, it takes a village to raise kid, but, like, it really does because when you think about it, like, parents are only at home with their kids for a certain amount of time. The rest of the time, they're with teachers, and now on top of this, they're with the coach. And it's not just one of those things is not likely to be the, like, it's not likely to succeed in making someone a good person if it's only one of those influences. I mean, there are cases, but like for the most part, like all those things have to work together. So it's like, uh, I mean, it, USA Hockey, this is why I don't think it's changing. USA Hockey's like, stop being racist, but it's okay if we hire someone who said the N-word, like totally fine. Yeah, it's it sucks. I don't think there's any other way to say it. <laughs> just it's it's annoying because like at least don't act like it's not it's not them doing that that well obviously that bothers me but what really gets me is that then they try to pretend like they're anti-racist and it's like you're really not so if you're going to go full on this train of like not eradicating racism like don't pretend that that's not what you're doing yeah it's I feel like a lot of times it's programs like doing the bare minimum, being like, look, we're not racist. We told people to not do this when and like they're not actually attacking the systematic issues. Yeah, it's very, very annoying. But kind of beyond your hockey coverage and beyond you calling out racist people on Twitter, um, you write a weekly newsletter called Stick to Sports where you like kind of dig into the stories of the week that were beyond the game. What inspired you to compile that newsletter and kind of what's your process of deciding what stories to include in it? So I think it was, um, God, honestly, I don't remember. I think it had something to do with Colin Kaepernick. And I just remember being mad that everyone says stick to sports because it, first of all, like this isn't politics. This is civil rights. Also, like even if we're talking like strictly politics, like policymaking or whatever, like listen, Sports is essentially run on politics. Like that, it, this is why it was created. Like every, this is all politics. So there's no separation. That's like a fallacy, and it drives me crazy. Um, so I think I that's I just got mad. So I actually started the my podcast first, which I have really been um, lagging on. But because I just like would like I like like to talk about things like Colin Kaepernick and why this is wrong or like why the penguin shouldn't visit the White House and things like that. And then um I think what happened is like initially when I started the podcast, I was mentioning a lot of articles. So then I would have to link to them in the show notes. And then I just thought, why don't I just make a newsletter for it? Um so I honestly it's been going on for so long that I don't quite remember how it started um unfortunately just because of things that i went through the past couple of years like it hasn't been consistent um i'm get, it's consistent now like i do it every week so i have a bunch of google alerts that get sent to my inbox and then i go through them and i like click on pieces i look at them um i've tried to parse down what i include just because like I'm, I mean, I'm sure you've seen like some of the newsletters mm -hmm. are like five, six pages long. And I'm like, I don't – I mean, that's sad. Like sometimes it has to be five, six pages long because that's what's happening in the span of one week. Um, like especially because of racism and like football slash European soccer, like that takes up like 
two thirds of the newsletter. It's ridiculous. Um, but I try to be basically like I give precedence to things that are to pieces that are either like noteworthy or insightful that I think people should read or things that are just really important news. Um, sometimes like I, I like to include like profiles on quote unquote barrier breakers and things like that. But I don't always end up doing that um, just because I'm still trying to keep the focus is in like, this is what's going on and this is what needs to change kind of thing. Yeah. It's if you don't subscribe to the newsletter, you should, because it's like a really nice and convenient place to find kind of all of those articles. And you do a really good job of putting like a two sentence summary of like what this in this. Thank so you. if it's something well, that you, yeah. Usually I just like, read the headline I'm like okay yeah yeah just, like, you do a really good job so we kind of talked about it already and you know we've kind of been building to it and how hockey isn't that inclusive but how do you think that hockey can become more inclusive I think a lot of it starts at the top with the leadership um, I mean you can say whatever you want but unless you have the actions to back it up it just doesn't mean anything um, I think there needs to be they need to explicitly say what they're going to do to make hockey inclusive. Like you can't just say, hey, hockey is for everyone and let's call it a day because that's not how it works. Um, and I, you know, with the kids, it's like really key to educate kids when they're young and like kids of color, you know, girls face sexism when they're too little to even understand what it is. And kids of color face racism when they're too little, you know, when they're young. So like players really, really need to be educated about what's going on socially, like what's going on in society, because hockey does not exist in a separate universe. It's in this one, it's in our world. And the same rules apply there as it does everywhere else. And it just, it has to be less of a cult. Like it just, you know, you need to like stop housing players together and you need to stop making sure that they only hang out with their friends from hockey. And you really need to like really amp up the education. Um, like it, you need to train, make sure coaches take it seriously too. Like you need to train USA hockey certified coaches um, and not just like how to handle issues of racism, but how to teach the kids about it. Uh, I did a piece on Snyder hockey a couple of years ago and you know, they were telling me how they handle it because I think like 70 upwards of 70% of the kids they serve are kids of color um, because it's, it's in Philadelphia and, you know, they know how to do it and they have those conversations with their kids. And like, honestly, it's, it's not really that different. And it really starts with education. Like I see so many things about, and like, even right now and with FIFA, like soccer all over the world, everyone is so focused on like, laying out the guidelines for punishment when something racist happens. Like, okay, your fans were racist, so we're going to close your stadium for this game. But no one's really focusing on how to be proactive. Everyone's focusing on how to be reactive. And as long as we're being reactive, nothing's going to change. You need to take that and say, okay, cool. Like, you can close our stadium down. That's fine. You can kick them out, whatever, of this championship tournament. That's fine, too. But you really need to work on educating and it's it's like a like I mentioned before it's really a community-wide effort and especially when you're talking about fans like it has to come from everywhere it has to come from other fans it has to come from coaches it has to come from non-minority players who are allies and I really think like that's it's it's really as simple as education and it really starts at the really young youth levels in hockey and how USA Hockey decides to certify these coaches. Now, if you hiring are hiring people up top 
who don't exactly have a reputation for being friendly to minorities, I mean, what do you think is going to happen at the lower levels? So it, it, uh, yeah, that it's, it, there's like a long answer, but that's the condensed version. Yeah. Yeah. It's like hiring people at the top who have made explicitly racist comments or even like just like comments that like kind of have racism you know, around them but aren't explicitly or not racist. Even comments, but like just not saying anything when something happens, you know, mm-hmm. not supporting people, not explicitly calling out racism. Like a lot of, I think it was last year, two years ago, a lot of NHL teams were saying we support inclusivity for everyone. Well, that's not the same as saying you don't condone racism. You need to say racism is wrong. We don't condone it. They're not the same thing. And um, because honestly, like you're more likely to find people who stay silent than you are who will be outwardly racist. Um, I don't I actually feel that people are more outwardly sexist than they are outwardly racist. Um, At least that's how it's been in my experience, because you just can never tell. People Mm -hmm. don't really share that side. And it it usually comes out in something they do like a slip of the tongue or something like that. And people are, you're more likely to get people who are less going to actually call you a racist slur sometimes than you will people who just won't say anything and will just be like, it's not my problem, which then you're part of the problem if you say that. Like I've had hockey players say that to me and I'm just like, I don't ever want to speak to you again because that's not the answer you should be saying to me when I've known you for four years and I'm talking to you about something real serious. Yeah, it's it's like people with a lot of privilege don't care oh, because it doesn't God. impact them, but it like impacts just, the people all around them. I hate which that is response. Really it's not my – yes, it's everybody's problem. That's the point. Also, you're a really crappy person if you look at something bad happening to someone else and you say, it's not my problem. Yeah. I hate even like saying it, but like wouldn't you want someone to do something if that kind of thing was happening to you, if the situation oh, yeah, they was would, reversed? Probably. Because, yeah, like you should just be a good person because it's a good thing to do. You shouldn't do it because you think something like might come of it for you later. But I feel like a lot of times, especially with athletes, it's kind of like, well, what's the incentive to do this? And like, and it it really goes back to how they were raised. And I mean, with hockey, it's just it's so strange, because they're like, there's a very specific code that they live by, but it's like very, very specific. And it only applies to certain things and not to other things like they'll say oh hockey players are great like the community always comes together but okay like they'll do that and they will like they'll raise money for people who need it but at the same time they won't you know stand up against bigotry and like good values quote-unquote good values is like oh, so-and-so is like really humble to us when he meets fans, not even though this person like supports someone who is accused of rape. Like it's it's really messed up. Like I think I did a podcast episode on this because like the hockey, like hockey culture is like bad, but then when you actually get into the language and what they say they are and like what that actually means is just really twisted. Yeah, it's it feels very performative. Like not that, people who help people through charity aren't doing good and wanting to help people but it just feels like it's a performative way to do it instead of like an actually changing my yeah, actions yeah and it's way just very it. focused on one specific thing and i think a lot of it goes back to the communities that these people are raised in because who they think deserves help and who they think doesn't and what they think is right and what they think is wrong is like very telling it's very telling if you're like okay like i'll raise money for um 
or like I'll not shave my mustache for um, November, but I won't help, you know, inner city kids or like, because these kids, they're just not working hard enough. Like you don't belong. Like it's just, it's all the subtle bigotry that people have been raised with that never gets challenged. And by the time they get to college, which I feel like is hopefully where most people have their um, biases challenged, they're only around their other hockey teammates. So they're not going to have anything challenged ever. Yeah. But hopefully we can move the game forward. So do you think there's something that like people can do on an individual level to kind of change that culture? Yeah. I mean, like call out things when you see it really like do the best you can to hold the teams. I'm not saying don't root for like teams. Listen, my school had two players arrested for alleged rape and I still love BU hockey more than anything in the world. Like I get it. I'm not saying don't support your team. I'm saying if you're going to support, if you're going to watch the sport and you're going to support it, you better be willing to put in the work to at least try and make it better and to call that stuff out when you see it and not to make excuses. And if you see someone that you know, like, I mean, it's really hard to tell someone, you know, like, hey, that's racist. Don't do that. But you really need to say that. Like you say, hey, that's sexist. Don't do that. Because then what happens is it falls on like minorities to constantly be like, that's sexist. You can't like the amount of times I have to tell people people that's sexist please don't do that like or that's racist don't like I don't even say anything anymore because first of all they're not gonna listen to me they're just gonna be like she's overreacting second of all it's just annoying and it's a pain in the ass and like that's just like it you gotta like call out those little things and you really have to press to hold people accountable in whatever way you can um because we live in a capitalist society. Capitalism is the root of all evil. Sports only cares about capitalism. So they're only going to give a crap if a large portion of their fan base says we're not going to stand for this, which isn't the, for the they, that's not like the right reason to do things. But it's at least some kind of action, which is better than none. But that's like a key thing. And the other thing I would say is like, be supportive of the minorities who are putting in the work like for me personally there aren't a lot of people that I can go to for support but the ones that I do have are really wonderful and I mean like they'll support me through everything and when I say I want support I'm like I need to complain and you're not going to say anything to me about oh but like you have this or like you have that or like I hope you still find the good like no that really pisses me off don't do that just listen to us complain and you know, block and report people on Twitter, even though Twitter doesn't do crap about it. Yeah, Twitter really sucks at that stuff. Like you can send them screenshots and be like, this person called me the C word and said like that I like whatever. And they're like, okay, this is just your opinion. This person feels <laughs> yeah. stupid crap like that. So dumb. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. Even when things are like objectively sexist or objectively racist, you're like, no, it's fine. Like, no, that's it's that's not another fine. thing. People are like, oh, that wasn't. They didn't mean to be racist. It's like, please stop trying to analyze the. I mean, hockey. In all fairness, hockey has this problem with everything. Like even on ice hits, we're not trying to measure the intent because we don't know the intent, and also we don't care. It's like the end result that we care about, and that's what people should be punished based on. So like. Don't ever say like people will say a lot of times they'll be like, oh, he didn't mean to be like with Brandon Talman. Oh, he didn't mean to be sexist. It's like, OK, I don't care what he meant, but I see what he did. And that's pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, <laughs> God, it's it's frustrating. But how do you think 
we can get more women, especially women of color, involved in hockey, whether that's like reporting or just like being fans? Um, I think the Black Girl Hockey Club, um, Renee is doing a wonderful job because she's giving people a inclusive and supportive community. And I mean, if you want people to get involved in hockey and you want them to stay like and I because like people are always like, oh, we'll make this more diverse. Let's go out and hire some people of color. That's great. But then you actually need to support said people of color. Like I was reading at the Hajj Muhammad's autobiography because it's on our book club list. And, you know, she was saying that when she was at Duke, there were only two black players on the team. They both quit. And she was like, the coach didn't think anything like nobody thought there was anything wrong with the fact that the only two black people on the team quit. You know, like you can't just put people in there. Like it requires because our society is so messed up and bigotry is so like ingrained in it. It requires a lot of constant support. Like I can't even begin to tell you the amount of times I text people or I call people and I'm like, I'm about to walk away right now and I need you to talk me out of it because I hate everything and I want to burn everything to the ground. Like it takes a lot of support. And so even and but I mean, like we're not even hitting the basic part. We're not even going out. We're not even hiring people of color. We're not even hiring women. We're not hiring women of color. Like so we can't get to the step of supporting them because we don't have them in the first place, which I find ridiculous because so many people say to me, oh, we care about diversity and inclusion and none of those people have ever hired a woman of color. And it's like, hey, well, they're out there. And you know what? I see people who don't cover hockey or cover other sports or other things getting, you know, hockey beat reporting positions. And that same courtesy doesn't extend to people who aren't white men. And it's like, you you need to actually make like you know nothing just happens you need to make the effort like you got to stop being lazy you need to go out and to find the right people because there are a lot of people who are good at what they do or they have the potential and they just haven't been given the chance and it's doubly crappy because if you're a minority and you say hey this is bad people aren't going to want to hire you which is crappy but like like I, when I started speaking out, I like was crying into my roommate's dog's fur because I was like, I'm never going to get a job in hockey now, which is true. But <laughs> that's that's how it is. And it sucks. But I've made my peace with that. But that's the other thing. Like we don't have an environment where we encourage like it's we live in a society where it's worse to be called a racist than to actually be racist. And that is so completely messed up. Yeah. Even after all of that. Do you have any advice for a woman who wants to get involved in hockey, kind of like knowing like what they're going to be getting into? Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> I honestly, I really <laughs> wish someone had told me like, you're a woman of color. You're not going to be hired. I wouldn't have given up like by all means, because I was graduating when people are like, you're not going to get a job in journalism. And I still pursued it because I'm stubborn. Like all of us are incredibly stubborn. Otherwise, we wouldn't still be doing this stupid crap. But I really yeah. wish just someone had told me, like, you're really going to hate it at some points um, because you will. And I think it's much better to tell people that it's going to suck rather than not tell them it's going to suck and then have them wondering, like, what am I doing wrong? Because I was always really unhappy. while, I, Like, I was really happy, but also really unhappy. I had a really volatile relationship when I covered Princeton, and I thought it was, like, me. I thought I was doing it wrong. And eventually, and like, I don't know, maybe five, six years later, I realized that it's not me. It's because of hockey and how hockey is the way that it is. But I didn't know that because no one had ever told me that because there aren't a lot of women of color in hockey. In fact, I think there are like three or four of us. And like, 
there was really nobody above me who was doing it. There was like maybe one or two people who I didn't really know at the time. So it was like, I had no idea. And like, I learned recently that kids who believe we live in a meritocracy, like underprivileged kids who think we live in a meritocracy are way more likely to turn to like violence, drugs, and gangs than kids who are told that we don't live in a meritocracy. Because what happens is like you think, okay, we live in a meritocracy. Anyone can do what they want if they work hard enough. But no matter how hard you work, you're just never going to be given the same opportunities. So you think, oh, it's a failure on my part. And that's where the problem is. So I think my piece of advice would be like, I don't know. like, Well, I mean, surround yourself with people who will fight for you, viciously fight for you. Um, And you better be willing to fight for them too. Uh, That and like just know it's going to suck a lot. It's really going to (laughs) suck. I know. I'm a great – Yeah. But I'm still doing it so clearly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess like kind of – to end on a high note ish like what is the thing that keeps you doing it besides stubbornness like what makes you continue to cover cover hockey even though there's probably something you could do that was be maybe less emotionally laborious yeah i constantly every day think to myself i would be so much happier if i just left hockey part of it is because um because of bu i just i love that those programs so much that I can't leave and like they've been so incredibly supportive of me like even since I graduated you know they didn't like shut the door in my face they always welcome me back and I mean like I'm close with the coach for BU women's hockey and like there are XBU there are three ex-college hockey players that when I wrote my hockey's for everyone essay I sent it to they were all XBU players and they were all really supportive of me and that's really, really rare. I know because I have covered a different team. Like I covered Princeton and the same thing didn't happen there. Um, And like BU hockey, like a lot of people around that community are just so genuinely good. And like, you know, these are people who like when I was going through hell would stop in the middle of the game and talk to me and say, how am I doing? And I really, really love those people to death. Like the people that I love in college hockey, I really, really love. And like BU has just done so – like BU Athletics has done so, so much for me. And like they've gone really above and beyond what they have to do in their jobs. And just because I love them as much as I do, like that's all it takes. That's it. Yeah. It's really nice that you have like a really positive experience with them, even though like obviously not every part of covering them or even going to school there was wonderful. But to have that, you know, really positive relationship that like reminds you of like why you do this and why you love hockey and like why you love whether it's one specific program or just like the sport Mm -hmm. in general. So um, I really appreciate you coming on. And I'm really glad that you stuck with me through a couple technical difficulties that our listeners will have no idea happened. I'm the queen of technical difficulties. By that, I mean, I'm always around when they happen, not that I'm great at fixing them. (laughs) Um, So where can people find your work? You know, what are you working on right now? What am I working on? I'm working on two books. One of them is a surprise. The other one everyone knows is about pirates. Pirates. <laughs> we, we forgot pirates. to talk about pirates. Um, I am actually a 18th century pirate. I have just been living this entire time. I never died or I died and I was my ghost is back or I was reincarnated or something like that. 
Um, I'm still, I'm covering prospects for McKean's hockey. I'm still covering the big 10 slash college hockey as a whole for college hockey news. And that's mostly what I do. I have my stick to sports newsletter, which is now consistent, even though sometimes it makes me want to throw my computer across the room because I swear to God, some of the stuff that lands in my inbox is just ridiculous. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm on Twitter at Ice Hockey Stick, and I don't really tweet a lot anymore. But when I do tweet a lot, you can bet it's because I'm upset about something. Uh, I recommend following Jashmina because <laughs> pirate, pirates. also pirates. Every so often, pirates. Pirates. I talk a lot about pirates. It's wonderful. Did you know? It's actually, wonderful. I don't have a fun fact. I mean, I have many fun facts, but <laughs> yeah, I was um, in rural Canada for Canadian Thanksgiving, and I was at some like weird roadside store and they had like an entire section of pirate mm. stuff and i was like just would love when i this. was in cape cod i walked into an antique store and i literally almost bought a cutlass and the only two reasons i didn't is because at the time i was unemployed and i thought it would be stupid to spend money and also because i'm like crazy anxious i thought that there's no way i'd be able to bring it back into the city of boston which is stupid because i'm not even crossing like a state border i don't know what i was thinking there <laughs> Yeah, you're not you're not crossing any international borders, even state lines. I don't, you could have done. I, I just next feel like time. a brown person walking around with a weapon is just not the best idea. That's a <laughs> very justified feeling. Um, on that note, uh, everyone, thank you for listening. Go check out Jeshvina's work and go look at all of her pirate tweets. Um, please do me a favor, subscribe to this podcast. And uh, until next time, I'm Hannah, and thank you so much for. Listening.